Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Why should we care about Ukraine aid? What has happened with Vladimir Putin? I referenced at the beginning of the show, a, an anti-Ukraine a conference is taking place tomorrow in Washington, as reported in The Guardian. Marcus Colgan here with us from the McDonald Laurier Institute, always with his eye on what is happening in Ukraine and the war and how it ties into so many things. Marcus Kolga, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, as always, for, uh, for having me on, Irving. There's so many different aspects. It's a very strange time. First of all, let me ask you, there's so many things coming together. You and I have spent years focusing on a lot of the stuff that seems to have a destination in common. And a lot of it has to do with Russia. Now we're adding Iran and China. There is a massive wake-up call happening here in Canada right now. And I, I know you've been on top of it for some time as we get near the years end. What are you thinking right now, the severity of it? Um, well, look, I, I think that I mean, you and I have been talking about these threats for, for years already. Um, and I feel like at the end of every year, we sort of have one of these interviews where we say, well, we're, you know, trying to assess where we are, where we're going. And, you know, every year, I think these the threats just continue to grow. Um, things are only getting worse geopolitically year after year. Um, and, you know, I think there's several reasons for that. I mean, look, Vladimir Putin is, is, is very actively seeking out uh, other totalitarian regimes, other authoritarian regimes uh, with whom he can collaborate with, um, who support him in his uh, anti-democratic and imperialist aims. Um, that uh, has, we've allowed that to continue uh, without really standing up to it for the past uh, number of years. Um, and I think that has been one of our big failures is that we have sort of let uh, Vladimir Putin and others like him get away with it uh, for all this, all these years. You know, I think there were clear warning, warning signs already um, in the mid 2000s. Some of us were at least trying to warn um, uh, our Canadian government, uh, Canadian media and, and Western media to, to this threat. Um, you know, we saw Putin invaded Georgia in 2008. And, and quite frankly, we did nothing about it. Uh, 2014, he annexed Crimea. Uh, you know, we stomped around a little bit, said you, you shouldn't do that. But we did very little. We applied a few sanctions, which we never ended up enforcing. Um, Vladimir Putin saw that as a, as a green light to, to continue. Um, we saw how he worked uh, with uh, with the Assad regime regime in Syria and bombed um, countless towns, villages, cities uh, to ruin in in Syria. We saw that was a prototype for what uh, the kind of war that Putin would engage in in Ukraine. Uh, and we saw the warning signs uh, in in December of 2021. Um, you, you and I talked about yeah. uh, those warnings, uh, and we saw what 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 Vladimir Putin was doing. He was amassing his armies on Ukraine's uh, borders, but still we, we, we did nothing. And, um, and now here we are, two years into this absolutely barbaric war um, where um, unspeakable crimes have been committed against Ukrainian civilians, uh, civilian infrastructure is being destroyed to the tune of you know, billions, if not trillions of dollars already. Um, 19, over 19,000 Ukrainian children have been kidnapped by the Russian government uh, and who and they're being indoctrinated right now 
in Russia, and some of them have even been sent back to the front lines by Putin to fight against their own people. Um, you know, and the list just it continues to go on and on. And now we're seeing what's happening in, in Israel, and we're seeing this very uh, clear nexus, uh, the connection between Hamas and Iran, Iran and Russia. Um, there is a, a an absolute axis of evil that is is emerging. Uh, and still, we, we seem to be reluctant to stand up to it. We see what happened in the, uh, in the US Capitol with the GOP voting down uh, aid to Ukraine. We see the uh, the partisanship that's emerging, unfortunately, in Ottawa on, yeah, on these same want, issues. I want to talk about that, too, because we've got all this, as you've just beautifully laid out here, and all these tentacles, and they're moving, and it's being referred to as the new access of evil, and as the familiar names. But let's take a look at what we're seeing. You just referenced what was happening in Ottawa. We had the Conservatives voting down the Ukraine-Canadian free trade. It was uh, supposedly about uh, the carbon tax. Is there something disturbing there about the message that sent? We have seen the Conservative Party and the Conservative leader offer support to Ukraine. But as you just mentioned, we're rarely looking with one eye over to America. You just said there is a faction within the Republican Party. Should we be watching for that here in Canada? How are you looking at it now? No, absolutely. We should be very much concerned uh, about some of those narratives, those conspiracies, which I might add align with uh, Russian conspiracies about about Ukraine, about corruption in Ukraine, and and about uh, it being a, a black hole for for our funding. Um, for example, um, those narratives are all creeping into the Canadian information space. Uh, you know, I, I, on my daily monitoring of of those spaces on social media and such, you you see these posts appearing on. Um, on those posts that are supportive of Ukraine that are put up by our elected officials, whether conservative, liberal, or NDP. Um, you know, as far as that vote that you referenced about the uh, mm -hmm. updating the legislation to update uh, the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement, um, you know, uh, I don't want to uh, believe uh, that there was that was anything other than uh, a poor uh, political strategy, a poor calculation. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody in the some of these conservative strategists thought that they might win some partisan political points by bringing up um, something that, quite frankly, wasn't in, in the treaty. Mm -hmm. This, you know, something, you know, this uh, what they claim is a, 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 an imposition of a carbon tax on Ukraine. It's not in the treaty. It's not. Read the text. It's not in there. Um, and I think that this sort of backfired on, quite frankly, on the conservatives. Uh, you know, I think Ukrainians and you know, the, the nearly 5 million Central and Eastern European uh, Canadians, uh, I mean, I think they, they were all taken aback, a little aback uh, by this. And I think that, um, you know, support for the Conservatives probably will take a hit um, because of it. So, uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, I do think that uh, Pierre Polyever is unfortunately trying to walk a bit of a tightrope here. He's uh, trying to appeal to some of those uh, extreme uh, right-wing uh, conservatives uh, who may have uh, may continue to or or may once have supported Maxime Bernier, who is of course uh, quite frankly anti-Ukrainian uh, and I wouldn't say outright pro pro-Russian, but he is certainly not supportive of Ukraine. Um, maybe you know Polyever is trying to uh, appeal to to that faction. Uh, I would warn him against doing that. 
Um, it is uh, politically, I, I, there's no, it, it makes no sense. It's illogical. It is a tiny group within uh, a tiny group of uh, potential con- uh, conservative uh, supporters that would believe or support those sorts of positions. Uh, and I think that the vast majority of, of, of traditional conservative voters are, are quite frankly appalled uh, by these sorts of uh, partisan games. And I think Canadians in general are appalled by, uh, you know, partisanship when it comes to these sorts of uh, issues, including uh, Ukraine and, and Israel. So, um, you know, I think we need to be aware that uh, these narratives are moving around in uh, both the far left and the far right, uh, I should also mention, in, in Canada. And I think that it's really important that uh, all of our, our national parties, the, the Liberals, the NDPs, and uh, NDP and, and Conservatives do not engage in in using these uh, narratives and and don't try to make partisan hate uh, out of uh, out of Ukraine or any other geopolitical uh, situation. You know, one of the main stories of the year too is about our safety here and a wake up call. It's something I want to talk about certainly this weekend as we sum up the year. Can- Canadians have had a heck of a year. We're kind of not who we thought we were. And if we want to be who we thought we were, we have to put a little effort into it. And look at what we're seeing here. Have we had a blind eye to a lot of this stuff, Marcus, our our place in the world, our security, and what we have to do and the values and pillars we have to have to stay with that? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Arlene. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about over the, you know, certainly over the past two years of this war is is, is who we are. And I think that our, we're not sure. Um, wow. I'm not sure that our government is entirely sure of what our role is. I mean, I think that over the past, you know, 30 years since the Cold War ended, you know, we've sort of sat back and sort of, you know, just sort of relaxed and presume that the, everything would work out, that, um, you know, liberal democracy, the rule of law would would uh, become predominant in the world, um, that uh, they would prevail over uh, that authoritarian evil that was represented by the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Um, we thought we were at the end of history, as Francis Fukuyama famously wrote. Um, we, we weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, our muscle memory, we allowed it to lapse. Um, I think that during that, those, you know, the past 30 years, we've sort of become just satisfied with having a, a place around the table when, when it comes to these uh, international organizations and conversations. We're not really taking a lead on, on anything. And, and quite frankly, you know, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed when I hear uh, some officials and, and uh, public figures suggest that, you know, we're just a middle power. What can we do? Um, you know, and I and I think that's that's utterly wrong. I think that we need to uh, take a, a look in the mirror and really assess who we are. Uh, we are a G seven nation. That means we're one of the most powerful nations in the world, one of the most prosperous and wealthy nations in the world. We can do a heck of a lot more. You know, if we look at small nations like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, who punch so far above their weight when it comes to fighting for democracy and freedom in the world, you know, we're not even close to these countries. Um, And I think that, you know, I heard a speech by uh, Minister Jolie, our foreign minister, in the spring where she she clearly said that we we need to aspire um, to be uh, to to do great things to promote democracy, we need to take those risks. I completely agree with that. And and I and I do hope that in the new year, we do start to see Canada 
sort of flex its muscles a little bit more and really get its hands dirty when it comes not to sorry that's the wrong mm-hmm. term to try to get to get really involved in the fight uh, for yeah. democracy and against authoritarians uh, because if if we don't get involved as you mentioned before you know if if we have Donald Trump coming into power in in the mm. next uh, in the next year um we're going to need the world will need a Canada that is far more assertive uh, and active in in those roles. How safe are we? You know, every day it seems there's another piece of evidence that there was something happening under the floorboards here. We have a Chinese election interference or a foreign interlection interference inquiry coming up, but we waited so long and we have China, as we've mentioned, Iran and Russia and all of it. And now we're getting warned of this cyber security that is all these cyber attacks they're happening in america they're happening in the eu and we are very well sitting ducks for all these things that are happening i mean have we not seen the ability for our enemies to use the powers they've been gaining on us are we have we not hit bottom yet in coming to an awakening there i hate to be a, a downer and but it's it, maybe it's just the truth, right? Well, I think that most of our conversations, I know, are, they're not particularly cheery, unfortunately, because no. we talk about these issues. And um, you know, on this specific topic, I mean, do you have an hour? I mean, I could mm-hmm. I could go on. I mean, this is uh, we really have neglected our own security and the security of of Canadians for a very very long time. I mean, even with this foreign interference inquiry, um, you know, I hate to say this, but. Uh, you know, I saw some of the individuals who um, received full standing at that inquiry, and I talked to uh, my my friends who are activists in the Hong Kong and Uyghur and Tibetan communities. Um, and you know, we saw this piece in the Globe and Mail yesterday that was published by uh, Stephen Chase and, and Bob Fife uh, yeah. about about these activists. They're really concerned because the individuals who have received standing are ones that have been identified as having connections with the Chinese government and have uh, those connections have been published and we've been aware of them for quite some time, going back to you know 2015 and such. Um, and so these activists are really concerned about their own safety. So this, even with this inquiry into um, foreign interference, um, we're actually exposing activists to trans potential transnational repression, intimidation. Uh, and you know, they're really concerned about the detail, their own private details if these individuals have access to them. So we've really, I mean, it's great that we we we've we've set this up, but we're really failing in its uh, miserably uh, in its uh, implementation and maybe uh, helping the, the these regimes like China in the process. So you know, in that regard, we're we're not doing a great job. You bring up the hacking that was um, that was brought up by the UK uh, just uh, the other day. Um, yeah, I mean, Canadians have been have faced the same sort of these threats, and that's probably why the CSE issued that warning. Um, elected officials, journalists, and activists in this country. Uh, for sure, have been targeted. I know that I've personally been targeted because it wasn't CSE or CSIS or the government that warned me that I was a target, but Google in uh, in the spring warned me that foreign uh, government hackers were trying to get into my uh, into my account, and uh, they put me on a special 
list of, of vulnerable journalists and activists and are monitoring me. But um, but it's quite surprising that I've never heard uh, anything from, from our, our intelligence. There's never been a briefing. Uh, and so I have to wonder whether our elected officials are getting these sorts of briefings because they will be targeted specifically by these phishing scams that try to access their their personal emails and, and important files. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly under threat. We have to assume that we will continue to be under threat. Um, and we need to take measures to uh, protect ourselves and our democracy. All right. We're in the room of doom, so we're going to continue with this. <laughs> I know as we look at the whole year as well, one of the tools of all this is misinformation, disinformation. And you have been on it. We've watched it. We've yeah. seen the effect of it. I mean, it, it, I just feel so powerless when I learn more and more about how successful that has been. And then we learn we have the dubious honor here of Canada of being one of the places that sends this stuff out. Easy marks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, this is just a, a threat that that continues to grow, um, you know, and I, and I think that we're trying to as a government and, you know, West, all Western societies are trying to to catch up to defend our societies against it. But, you know, uh, we're not moving fast enough, unfortunately. You know, we have set up this, this wonderful institution in global affairs called the Rapid Response Mechanism that is doing a, a good job of, of monitoring and, and exposing in, in somewhat of a timely fashion these these threats. But uh, that's not enough. Uh, you know, we need to be um, inoculating our society. This means, you know, taking a, a generational approach, a whole of society approach, making sure that our, our children um, are aware of of these threats, that they are able to critically consume information, that they're not just blindly sucking in anything that they see on TikTok or or any of these other uh, platforms. Um, you know, that's that's not happening right now. Um, it's happening in in silos and in, in specific areas of government, civil society. But there's there's really no um, you know coordinated efforts uh, to to do this. And you know, and we don't have to start from zero. We have allies that are very effective at doing this. Finland, Estonia, Taiwan, to be quite honest, has faced this threat for for years and has set up uh, institutions and policies to uh, to defend uh, their people from from that. And and so we need to, we need to definitely learn from them, and uh, we also need to be, I think, educating our elected officials uh, because uh, you know, unfortunately, over the past couple of years, we've seen whether it's provincial oh, yeah. mm-hmm. elected officials, federal officials, sometimes they're trafficking the in, trafficking in these narratives as well, probably unknowingly, probably for uh, partisan purposes, but they also be need to be uh, made aware of them as well. So there's lots of work to be uh, done in this area because, like I said, it's a, this threat is also persistent and it is only growing. All right, I do want to throw some names at you. There are faces that exemplify this. Nelvani, and we mm. just heard, uh, you know, that he may have collapsed and yeah. in, has not been seen from in his Russian jail. And we also have Kara Mirza, Vladimir Kara Mirza. Yeah. And then here now in Canada, 24-hour guard on Irvin Kotler. Yeah. Well, look, first, let me say, um, Arlene, uh, you are one of the leading journalists in Canada who keeps on bringing these names up, thankfully, um, in your shows on a regular basis. Um, you know, you know that Vladimir Karmorza is, is an old friend of mine. We've uh, we've been working together since you know 2009, and I know his family very well. One of the things that Vladimir always says is that the greatest threat 
uh, uh, and concern for a political prisoner is being forgotten. And you don't, you you are making sure that he is not forgotten. So thank you uh, for that. Um, and you're right. I mean, this is uh, when we're talking about Vladimir Karamurza or Alexei Navalny. These these two gentlemen represent a great threat to Vladimir Putin. And so Vladimir Putin has done all that he can. Uh, to try and silence them without immediately making them into martyrs. That means not killing them uh, outright. He's tried to. He's poisoned both mm. of them, uh, and now they're in prison. And if I, if you, if you allow me to take a minute to talk about uh, Vladimir and his current condition, I, 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 I just spoke with his wife Evgenia in Washington uh, just about three or four really? weeks ago, and uh, she told me about his situation. Um, Vladimir Karamurza, as, as your listeners will recall from from hearing you talk about him, uh, was arrested in April of 2022 for criticizing uh, the war. He's a well-known opposition leader. Um, and uh, just a few months ago, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Um, he was sent to a, a distant prison camp in Perm in the far north of Russia uh, a, a few weeks ago. Um, and he's been locked up in isolation since that time. Uh, I think he's now it's approaching 60 days where he is living in a concrete box that is five by 10 feet. Uh, he, he has a, a steel bed that he sleeps on uh, at night that is taken away during the day and a, a metal small bench, a stool is placed there. Uh, he's allowed to go outside uh, for, for one hour every day. And for one hour, he's given a pencil and a pen. Um, and for the rest of those waking hours, the 15 hours that he's awake, he sits and he stares at a concrete wall. And he has been doing this for well over uh, 60 days now. Uh, and so uh, my understanding is his health is has been deteriorating uh, due to the two poisonings in 2015 mm -hmm. and 2017 that he endured. Um, and, uh, and it's only getting worse. So, uh, you know, we need to keep them in our, our minds. These are the people, it's their movements that we need to support. When I, we were talking about what can Canada do, Canada can support um, those uh, uh, pro-democracy activists that are now in exile, the journalists who report on the corruption that's happening in Russia, we can support them uh, and people like Vladimir, Vladimir Karamurza and his family to make sure that uh, they're safe. But like I said, thank you for keeping uh, these individuals who are fighting for democracy around the world, uh, keeping them in, in, in our minds and at the forefront. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.